Let's try that again. Good morning and welcome. My name is Craig again, and I'm the senior pastor. It's our privilege to have you gathered with us this morning. Um, we'll be in the book of Acts chapter 4 in just a minute. As you're turning, let me just point out a couple things um, that uh, announcement-wise, just so you can be aware. Um, we have a Next Steps class this afternoon. If you have visited our church once or 20 times and you're interested in what it might look like to be a member here, I would love to meet with you this afternoon. We'll meet at 4 o'clock. We'll meet in the library, which is through that door right there, okay? If you don't know where it is, if you just come in this general area, I'll find you at 4 o'clock this afternoon. We would love to have you. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about what's happening in our church family. Uh, Vacation Bible School is around the corner. I don't, I don't know what Adam mentioned, so if I'm repeating anything this morning, I'll apologize. But uh, VBS is around the corner, which means that we'll be inviting kids. It also means we've got to start recruiting volunteers for Vacation Bible School. Um, and the way that we're going to do that is if you would like to serve, you can go and see, uh, especially Miss April Garbage, she'd love to have you. But some of y'all don't even know who that is. So if you go on our website, um, and we're trying to make it more user-friendly, so you might have to look just a minute to find it. But eventually it'll be easy to find, but there's a little button you'll be able to click that says Volunteer. And you just indicate that you want to volunteer with Vacation Bible School. And what that'll do is we'll get somebody in touch with you to talk through that process uh, for what it would look like to volunteer serving VBS. Uh, there are some, some, some requirements, but uh, we can talk through that. If you'll just click that link, we'll put somebody in touch with you. You can see other things that are listed uh, in your announcements and other things in your bulletin. Uh, please pay attention. A lot of things. So we, we're, we're really running at, uh, at pretty well full speeds. So there's a lot going on. So I'd encourage you to keep paying attention to the announcements and all the things that are coming up. Easter's around the corner. We've got an Easter cantata. There's all kind of things that are happening within your church. So please pay attention to those. All right. Hopefully by now you've made it to the book of Acts chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We're only going to read four verses. For those of you that do sermon-driven Bible, uh, sermon-driven curriculum in your life groups next week, you want to volunteer to read in life group next week because there's only four verses as opposed to 26 you had to read this morning. All right, here now for this is God's word. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would give us boldness, passion, Lord God, clarity to proclaim the gospel. Help us to be agents of change in the world around us. Apply this word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. What's it look like for the gospel to move in difficult places? Have you ever been in a situation where you're tempted to act differently because of maybe the people that were around you? Now, we like to say that peer pressure is not all bad. By the way, just as a side note, I am so grateful before we get started. I didn't wear a jacket this morning, which doesn't matter to any of y'all except to always wear a jacket when we baptize. Because occasionally when we baptize, things get a little bit crazy up there and water kind of floshes over this way and I end up wet. I'm so grateful that this morning since I don't have a jacket, I don't have to stand up with y'all with like a half wet shirt. That doesn't matter to any of y'all, but it is a huge praise for me this morning. Have you ever been in a situation where you're tempted to behave differently because of the people around you? We talk to our, our teenagers, especially children, about peer pressure. Of course, peer pressure does, doesn't just apply to them. It applies even to us as adults, doesn't it? You, you find yourself in a particular situation. Not all peer pressure is bad. We gather around our kitchen table and somebody says, hey, 
this spinach isn't that bad. And maybe the next person goes, oh, it turns out I can eat this. And we get some positive peer pressure. We like that kind. But we also have the negative peer pressure. And then there's just sort of the reality. We find ourselves in a particular situation, maybe around a particular kind of people, and we're tempted to just behave in a different kind of way. Maybe we're tempted to not be as open or as outgoing with our faith. Or, or, or maybe we just hide our accents a little bit more. This morning, as we think about what it would look like to see the gospel move in different or difficult places, I want you to know that one of the things that we've got to be willing to do is to speak boldly, regardless of the situation in which we find ourselves. Uh, Peter and John were in this particular situation with an opportunity to preach the gospel, if you'll remember, all the way back in Acts 3, because they walked into the temple courts, and as they got there, there was a guy laying there who had been lame, uh, laying by there waiting, or begging for alms, that is, for money to be given to him. They walk up and they say, we have no money, but what we have, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he gets up and he walks, and the Bible says that as a result of that, the people clamored around them, and they were eager to hear what they had to say. When Peter and John stood up then in Solomon's portico, which is a really big word that means porch. That's what this particular area of the temple complex was called. When they stood up in Solomon's porch, Peter began to preach, but when he did, Peter knew two things to be true. He knew, number one, that there were some people there who really wanted to hear what he had to say. The other thing that Peter knew in this particular moment, though, is that there were some people who were not going to be happy about their message. Peter and John knew that the Sadducees were in attendance, or at least some of the Sadducees were in attendance. Now, if you don't know who the Sadducees were, here's what you need to know. We can get into sort of their theological issues. The Sadducees, for instance, did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. So Peter knew that when he preached this one who had come back from the dead, he knew that he was going to upset this group of people that didn't believe in the resurrection. However, what you might not put together is that these people who didn't believe in the resurrection were not just some weird like preacher class that got in there and had their theological discussions. They were that, but it was more. They were the ruling aristocracy. These were the people who really were the movers and shakers of their time. They were in charge. They were in control. Peter knew that if he wanted to influence the leaders of this this temple, the leaders of their religious movement, Peter knew that he needed to shy away from this message about resurrection. Folks, there's a side note I want us to keep in mind here. Jesus could have gone straight to the palaces of power to proclaim his message had he believed, had he thought, had he been so inclined to want his message to begin at the top and work its way down. Peter instead worked among fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes, or Jesus rather. Jesus worked among fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes. Peter and John could have, had they believed that the greatest hope for the gospel was to influence the political leaders of their time, they could have carefully crafted their message in such a way so as to not offend those people at the top. But when the opportunity came for them to preach the gospel, Peter spoke with boldness and with clarity. Peter spoke with conviction. And Peter was committed to the truth regardless of who was listening. Do you understand? Folks, when we seek to see the gospel move in difficult places, we have to speak boldly. We have to speak boldly. As it relates to the gospel, we've got to be willing to speak. We don't just have to, we have to be willing. 
right? I got to say, regardless of what everybody else might think, I'm willing to do this hard thing. We tend to equate boldness with sort of volume or confrontation, though, don't we? The bold person is the loud person. Listen to this. An argument about the Bible is not the same thing as bold evangelism. An argument about the Bible is not the same thing as bold evangelism. Boldness, conviction in our proclamation, does not require an argumentative spirit. We can speak the truth without seeking to pick a fight. How many of y'all like a good fight? It's okay to raise your hand. Right? I'm going to preach against you in a minute, but it's me too, right? Yeah, we all, those of us in this, we got to be careful. I, I like a good one, right? You ever just walk into a situation and you know, look, I didn't come here to be appeased. I came here to be right. Some of y'all are lying because y'all did it, okay? Just admit it. And some of y'all, I get it, not everybody, but some of y'all in here, I feel you. I know where we are. You walked into a situation and you just were in there to get some of whoever was there. I had a phone call one time um, related to my children. And uh, I didn't, the truth of the matter was, the whole story doesn't matter, but it comes down to this. We got a call from a social worker when we were in the middle of our adoption process. And I got a call from a, a, I don't know if it's a social worker, a caseworker, somebody um, who told me that we had to do these things. We'd been trying to do these things. We couldn't get people to do what they were supposed to do to do, which means actually set up an appointment so that we can make this stuff happen. And, uh, and then we, we got a threatening phone call about if we didn't get this done, then, then, then we, we had to do this or our children couldn't stay with us. Well, at that point, I, I was heated, if you might imagine. I don't know if anybody's ever threatened to take your children from you. Um, it flips a switch that you didn't even know you had. Uh, and so I start calling every phone number I can find. And, and the, 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 they answer the phone. They say, how may I help you? And my question was simple. Are you the person in charge of so-and-so? Well, sir, what could I do for you? I said, you can't do anything for me unless you're the person in charge of so-and-so. Because I need this resolved. And the lady said this to me on the phone. Sir, if you want to keep your children, you need to be friends with me. In that place, I was no longer interested in being her friend. I was really no longer interested in resolution. You understand? Like we, 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 we allow our emotions to overwhelm. Okay? Um, and... We, we reined it back in and we got everything done. But y'all, we can get to that place. Do you know we can even get there as it comes to our proclamation of the gospel? How many of you found yourself in what you hope to be an evangelistic conversation only to discover that about five minutes in, you were no longer working toward a solution. You were just trying to win a fight. Bold proclamation of the gospel is not winning fights in the name of Jesus. Bold proclamation of the gospel is speaking the truth with conviction, with confidence, right? And it's being willing to speak that regardless of who is around. The boldness that came from Peter in this moment was as much as anything, him speaking with great confidence that many who heard this message We're going to be offended by it, but to continue to speak it anyway. But watch, even in Peter's words, we don't see him trying to pick a fight. Look at look with me all back up all the way back up in Acts chapter 3, verse 17. Peter says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Now, you might not like being called ignorant, but when Peter says you acted in ignorance, what Peter's doing is giving an off-ramp right here. 
Peter says, I know that you weren't doing this. I know that you didn't put Jesus to death because you said he's the Messiah and I want to kill him. You acted out of ignorance. He says, but now I'm telling you the truth so that you can be rescued from your ignorance. Folks, our proclamation, our bold proclamation of the gospel must be filled with conviction and truth. It must be filled with love and compassion. But it must not be mean-spirited or angry. I wish I could tell you that I've always done this well, but there have been times in my life when I began with what I hoped to be a, a, a gospel conversation, and I realized that somewhere down the line I ended and it had become nothing more than a shouting match, nothing more than an, an argument, and not an argument seeking a solution, but an argument seeking a winner. Folks, if you find yourself in an, an evangelistic or an apologetic conversation and your goal in life is to win, everybody has lost. If we are engaging with people who don't know Jesus, our goal is not to win an argument, but to win a soul to Christ. And we do that by speaking boldly with conviction, but also with compassion and love and truth. How can the gospel move forth or move in difficult places? There's got to be this bold proclamation as Peter and John did, recognizing that not everybody was going to love what they had to say, but recognizing the truth had to be said anyway. The second thing this morning that has to happen is there got to be, we have to speak clearly. Now, when I say speak clearly, I'm not talking about your enunciation, though that helps. Many people don't share the gospel regularly because they feel ill-equipped to do so. Right? You're not sharing the gospel because you're just afraid you're going to mess something up. You're afraid that once you get started, they're going to ask questions that you can't answer. They're going to have too many questions. When the time came for Peter to preach the gospel, do you know that he didn't use fancy turns of phrase or big words? Peter actually preached the gospel in a way that the people around him could hear it, could understand it, and could apply it. You don't have to be able to use big, fancy theological words to share the gospel. It's okay if you don't talk about propitiation. We'll get there. I'm happy to talk about it. I'd love to talk to you about propitiation and sanctification and salvation and expiation. If you don't have all those words figured out, you know what you can say? You can say, Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me from my sins. He'll save you too. That's the same truth. Peter preached the gospel in a way that his hearers could understand and apply. Watch this. Effective evangelism happens when the gospel is presented in a way that is easily understood and applied. That means you may very well be the best person to share the gospel with your neighbor. You may very well be the best person to share the gospel with your co-worker, with your classmate. Some of y'all think, well, if I could just get Pastor Craig to talk to them, then they would get it all figured out. I'm going to tell you something. They don't want to hear what I have to say most of the time. They would much rather hear what you have to say. I might also not talk in a way that they talk. I have people that ask me this question. I don't know, where are you from? I'm like, Spartanburg? You don't have an accent like you're from around here. Y'all, I grew up on the outskirts, the suburbs of Cowpens. You know, like, I mean, I got, it's, it ain't exactly what one would call an uppity kind of accent, you know. But the reality is that I don't have the same relationships and opportunities. So the goal for us must be not how can I find somebody to speak the gospel clearly to the people in my life. The goal's got to be how can we get you equipped to speak the gospel clearly 
to those in your life. This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to walk through. In your, in your bulletin this morning, there was actually a little booklet. If you didn't already drop it, I realize as I pick mine up, they're kind of heavy and they fall out. Um, we're going to actually walk briefly through this morning what it would look like for you to use a booklet like that to share the gospel with somebody. Next, next Sunday, for those of you doing sermon-driven discipleship in your life groups, you're going to walk through this again um, in your life groups, and we'll flood you guys with some resources this week. But I want you to be able to leave here today confident in your ability to explain the gospel with somebody. Um, I didn't bring my booklet up, but y'all got them in your hands. You see what they are. Uh, so what would it look like? Uh, just as one way to share the gospel with others. Um, one of the ways we can do so, so if you go back and look at Peter, Peter kind of starts in the beginning and works his way all the way through, doesn't he? Um, do you know that you can do that and you don't have to be a Bible scholar to get there? I used to teach my children um, little, little, little sayings about the entire history of the Bible that we could hang on the names of a few big names in the Scripture and get them from Genesis to Revelation in about a minute and a half. Folks, you can do this. So the first place we're going to begin with this little tool is in God's design. So the great thing about this is, hey, if you can get this down, even if you don't have this little booklet with you, you can draw this out on a napkin. The other thing that we've done, Kevin created them for us. He might have had some help from his wife, but Kevin created some really great invitation cards for us. Um, they're little uh, business card side size cards that are around our, our campus. You can grab those if you want to invite somebody to come to church with you. And on the back side, it's got this three, three circles evangelism tool so that you could actually walk through this with somebody um, as you shared just an invitation to church. The first thing we see is just God's design. Um, the Bible teaches us that there is beauty and purpose in God's design. God created us in his image with, a, with an intention for us to be in relationship with him and with others. Uh, in Genesis 131, the Bible says that after God created it, he saw that all was good, very good even. And then in Psalm 19, 1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of His hands. Y'all, when we look at this, understand that we're trying to get back here because the problem is not God's design. The problem is that after God created all this stuff, sin entered the world. Sin, sin entered the world and broke all the good things that God had created. Sin broke relationships. Remember, the Bible says that when Adam and Eve, after that first sin, they were suddenly naked and ashamed, weren't they? They covered themselves with fig leaves. And when God came to speak to them, God spoke to them, and they were hiding from him. Their sin had revealed to them their ugliness, and they no longer wanted to be in relationship with the Lord. Life doesn't work well when we ignore God and his original design for our lives. Many of you can attest to that, can't you? You know what it's like to have broken relationships because of your own selfishness or your own sin. We know what it's like to have those because of the sin of others and the way that those things have impacted us, don't we? The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. And as a result of that sin, we have brokenness. Brokenness. Sin leads to this brokenness. We see this all around us with broken relationships and broken lives. Romans 1.25 says that people exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served something created instead of the creator. This is what happens, isn't it? This is idolatry. The root sin of all the world is the sin of idolatry. That I look around and I find something other than God that deserves all of my worship and attention. Sometimes it's the person that stares back at me in the mirror. Sometimes that thing that I'm chasing. Sometimes it's money. It's prestige. All of these things can become idols, but those idols don't do anything but break us apart. They break our relationships with others. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its, its end is, or excuse me, but its, its end is the way to death. 
The Bible never teaches us to follow our heart. Do you know that? We are never taught to follow our heart. We're taught to follow God's word. We're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work to change our heart into God's image so that it can be a vessel that's useful. But the heart all on itself is broken. And as a result of that broken, it leads us into deceitful ways. At this point, we've got all this bad news. We really need something good that might happen in our lives, don't we? We've got all this brokenness. You know, I rarely find a situation where I have to tell somebody that their life is messed up. I rarely find a situation where I have to tell somebody this world is broken. Do we? We look around, we see war and famine and pain and hurt. Nobody has to be convinced. But what they do need to hear is that there is hope in the midst of all of this terrible stuff. And that hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the really good news. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the hope of the gospel. Remember, you don't have to use big, fancy words to be able to proclaim that. It's the most famous Bible verse in all the world. The Bible says in Colossians 2.14 that Jesus erased the certificate of debt and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Jesus took the penalty for our sin and our shame. This is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is not wrapped up in big words and big places we can gather for worship. The hope of the gospel is wrapped up in the very simple message that Jesus Christ died for our sin. What is this sin that we have? Life doesn't work when we ignore it, does it? We've got to have hope. Now, because of our sin, we've got to have repentance. Because of our sin, there has to be a point in time when I recognize that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. The Bible says, or excuse me, we've already seen that Peter, when asked about what should be done in that sermon, that very first sermon at the beginning of Acts, what does he say? He says, repent and believe. Repent and be saved. Repent and be baptized. All these things wrap up together to teach us that our responsibility when we have heard the gospel is that we would repent and believe and believe the gospel. And that gospel heals our brokenness. This little tool uses a little line there called recover and pursue. You could just write it in that says healing or hope because that's what the gospel does. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you to both to, or both to desire and to work out His good purpose, according to Philippians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 says that we are God's creation, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared for us for ahead, prepared for us ahead of time. I can't even get anything right. Prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Do you understand that God's design was for us to live in perfect relationship with him and others. Sin has broken that. Sin has broken our relationships. Okay? But the gospel heals those. And then you see what happens is that ultimately through the gospel, Jesus is trying to get us back to God's intended purpose for our lives. This is why we see these bookends in God's word. Genesis begins in the garden and Revelation ends in a garden. Do you understand that the purpose of Christ's coming is to take us back to the place where we began, to the place where we were living in perfect harmony with man and with God, the place where we live without sin interfering, to a place where there will be no sickness, no death, no pain, no suffering. Cancer, divorce, and, and struggle will be taken away, and instead Christ will be all in all. 
See, that's the big picture of what God's doing throughout all of history in the small picture. The little microcosm of what he's doing historically in his creation happens every single time that a sinner comes to salvation in Christ. Because God restores that broken relationship and offers the opportunity not only for our relationship with him to be made right, but for our relationship with others to be made right. Listen to me. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to be sharing the good news, the hope of Christ. But to do so means we need to speak clearly. This is one way that you can speak clearly. Some of you don't share your faith because you're just so afraid that if you try, you're going to mess something up. Y'all, you're not going to mess it up. You can do this. You remember the story of the man born blind? We referenced this several times in the last few weeks. And Jesus heals him. And as a result of that, you've got these religious leaders that are coming up, and they're trying to get him to deny Jesus. And the man's response is awesome. He says, look, I don't know who he is or where he come from, but I know this, I was blind, but now I see. Folks, one of the greatest ways that you're going to be able to proclaim the gospel is just to begin with that story. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. And then let me tell you how he did it. Your testimony is what Jesus did for your life. This is an easy way to tell how he did it. We've given you those booklets so that you got something you can take home and you can learn. Okay? We're going to flood you with little invitation cards. Those invitation cards are business card size. I gave one to somebody this week, and I circled the meeting time for, for when worship would happen um, so that they, they would know when they could, could be here. But that little, little card on one, on one side, you can write in your name. It says, join me. Is that my microphone doing that? Probably. Okay, awesome. Um, on one side, it says, join me. And you can write your name and your phone number. Because here's the thing. You invite somebody to church. Sometimes it's just kind of intimidating to walk in this big place. Y'all might not feel that way because you've been here long enough. No, no, no. You write your name down. And you say, look, hey, I'm Craig. Here's my number. You text me when you get here. I'll meet you on the front porch, and we'll walk in together, and we'll sit together. But on the other side, there's this little gospel story. In little bitty T90 letters, if you'll get out the magnifying glass, you can see it. We even have all the Bible verses listed there. Okay? You can even download an app for your phone that has this on it. It's called Three Circles. You download that app, it will walk you through it. And it gives you an opportunity to speak clearly. Not because, truthfully, not because I believe most of you need this. Most of you know enough to be able to share the gospel, but so that you can have the confidence to speak clearly. This way, when you, you, we take away some of those fears, right? Well, what if, what if, well, what if what? What if you got something in front of you as a cheat sheet and it helps you to walk through? The only way you mess this up is if you, you remind me of some of our high school students. We have high school students that can fail an open book test. And middle school students, some of you teachers in here can attest to. Okay? Y'all, you can't fail an open book test. We're going to put it all on a card to help you. But that's part of what we've got to do is we've got to be willing to speak the gospel clearly. And you actually can do that. You actually can speak clearly. Paul, before we jump all the way to the end, listen to me. Peter and Paul, Peter and Peter and Paul, Peter and John in this particular situation, they spoke in such a way that the people around them could understand. Folks, it's okay. If you speak to the people around you in the way that you speak. 
don't, don't give them the gospel in King James unless you speak in the King James. You don't have to look at them and say, you know, thou hast sinned so greatly. Shakespeare would have shared the gospel that way, okay? You're not going to share it that way. You're going to share it in a way that has your own personality infused with it. And when you share the gospel with your personality using the kind of words that you would normally use, you actually make it more believable. You make it more digestible. And the people around you need to hear it from you. Which brings us to our third point this morning. We've got to speak to eager audiences. We've got to speak to eager audiences. Now, hear me. Let's first say what I'm not saying, okay? I am not saying that we should not share the gospel with hard audiences. That's not what I'm saying. Don't send me an email this week, okay? Don't send me an email. If you, if you want to go and, and put your speaker up on the corner of DeCab and, and Broad and preach this week, God bless you. I'm going to support you. I'll probably come stand with you. I'm not telling you not to do that, so don't come at me, okay? Here's what I am saying. There are people in your life, there are people in your life that need to hear it from you. See, I'm suggesting that the Holy Spirit will break through hard shells and can deal with hard people. I'm also telling you that sometimes the Holy Spirit throws us a softball. And for some reason, sometimes we as believers are more excited to do the hard things than we are to hit, hit the softball pitch. Peter and John healed a man. Then people were filled with wonder and amazement, is what it says in chapter 3. And then, they, watch, they ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And then Peter and John said, Appreciate y'all, let me go over here and speak to these Sadducees instead. No. Nor did Peter and John say, I understand y'all got something you'd like to hear, but we're here to do something else. The Bible says that they flocked to them, and Peter was like, oh, well, these people want to hear what I have to say. Let's make sure that we give them an opportunity. This is why, for instance, when people show up to worship here, one promise you're going to get is they're going to hear the gospel preached. Right? Because my, my crazy belief is that if people show up here, they actually expect to hear the gospel preached. They're going to hear it. In a few weeks, our, our choir will present um, their, their Easter cantata. I'm, I'm confident they're going to do a wonderful job. I'm confident of that. There will still be a sermon. I, I give you all that as a warning. So like when they close their books, if you stand up, you're going to look silly, okay? Because the only person that's going to stand up is me, and I'm going to walk up here. Um, but why? Because people have showed up here to hear the gospel, and we're going to make sure that we preach the gospel to these eager audiences, right? They came because they, they came to hear the, the, me, the message of the gospel sung. We want to make sure that we proclaim it and give them an opportunity to respond to that gospel, Preach to eager audiences. When these people fluttered around, Peter and John said, let us tell you. And then they did it what? In their own language, with compassion and care and clarity. They didn't look at them and say, hey, you evil, idiotic people who killed Jesus. They said, you did it in ignorance, but let us tell you how to get right here. The people who were eager to hear the gospel that day heard the gospel. Let's make sure that the people who want to hear it get to hear it. 
Be as eager to share the gospel with your neighbor as you are to cross the ocean for missions. Be as eager to share the gospel with your neighbor as you are to cross the ocean for missions. Does that mean that we should not cross the ocean for missions? No, but it does mean that you're probably not qualified to go share the gospel in a foreign land if you're not willing to share the gospel in your backyard. This is what I'm talking about. Why would we want to go do the hard thing if we've not taken the easy thing? How are you expecting to share the gospel in a foreign language through a translator if you've not first practiced sharing it in your heart language? Folks, that means that we need to be willing to turn our calendar upside down for somebody who calls us and says, I'd like to know more about Jesus. There are people in your life who like you, right? There really are. You have friends. You have coworkers. They like you. They like to hear your story. Some of you tell bad stories, and there are still people who like to hear them, right? There are some people who like to hear my stories. It blows my mind. My children can't believe it. But these, these people who like to hear your stories, they're willing to take advice from you. Those are the easy places. They're eager audiences. Speak to them about the gospel. Tell them about Jesus. I want you to go and proclaim the gospel in foreign lands. I just don't want you to neglect the eager opportunities, the easy places. You say, well, they're not ready to hear. Okay, but they still speak your language. And guess what? The more that you seek them out, the more that you pray for these eager audiences, the more that you look for these eager audiences, it's amazing how they just appear. Speaking to eager audience doesn't mean that you have to passively sit around and hope for someone to come and ask you about Jesus. Okay, Right? We've talked about this before. There's that old St. Francis of Assisi misquote. It's not real. And preach the gospel at all times when necessary. Use words. Listen to me. You've not preached the gospel if you haven't used words. Okay? You haven't. Okay? I, 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 I put out uh, lime in my yard yesterday and some insecticide. Uh, I try to do it heartily as unto the Lord. And yet none of my neighbors flagged me down and said, Boy, that is the godliest presentation of yard work I've ever seen. Can you tell me about Jesus? Okay? Like I, I, even if I spray Roundup on my yard and kill all the grass except for the little heart shape in the middle, nobody's going to stop and say, tell me about Jesus. It's not going to happen, right? So I'm not saying you just sit around and wait for somebody to come and ask you about Jesus. we got to seek them out. we got to create those opportunities. But if you're praying for it and seeking it, it's amazing how those opportunities will begin presenting themselves. Let me give you some practical ways. Invite someone to church. Just by doing that, you open a conversation. Folks, you might be amazed to hear some of the things I hear. I, I spoke with a fellow a few weeks ago, and, and I know this guy. I've known him for years, but I also know that he's out of church. Now, he's a guy I can speak very frankly to and very boldly, and I just looked at him and said, dude, you're supposed to be in church. Man, you got a wife and kids. What are you doing? I said, okay. But, you know, he looked at me. He said, you know, me and my wife are talking about that just this week. Just this week. It's amazing that when I began that conversation, the Lord had already prepared it. But all I did was invite him to church. Would you, well, he was a little bit stronger with that, but it's a different relationship, okay? You might just invite him. 
And they might say, you know what, I just moved here and we're looking for a church. Or we've been out of church for 10 years, but my husband and I were just speaking this week and we need to be in. That's one of those eager opportunities, those easy ones, the softballs that God throws. Really? You've been looking for a church? How about this one? Offer to pray for somebody. Y'all, this is not as confrontational as we make it, up, make it out to be. The only time that I've ever had somebody reject my invitation to pray was a lady who was serving my table in a restaurant who became so overwhelmed with emotion when I offered to pray that she just walked away. She then came back and she said, in all my years, I've never had somebody offer to pray for me. I'm a Christian. Will you pray for my co-workers because I'm trying to be a faithful witness for Jesus in this place. And it is dark. Would you please pray for me? Invite somebody or ask, offer to pray for somebody. Who are the kind of people you can offer to pray for? You can offer to pray for a cashier. Usually there's like a line at every point where I go anymore. So rarely do I have an opportunity then to share the gospel. But I can at least offer to pray. But what has happened to me before is I offered to pray to, for somebody at a, at a, at a cashier. In a ca Ugh, I've offered to pray for a cashier or someone running at the cash register. Somebody helping me in a store. That's what I'm trying to say. And when those places have been empty, and on more than one occasion, they've looked at me and they've said, would you please pray for me? And I've had opportunity to share the gospel. Just that quick, it just opened the door. They begin to pour out their heart about how broken their life is. You can offer to pray for co-workers. If you're just terrified about getting the nerve up to do it, just run past and like say it to them real quick. If I can pray for you, let me know. Start somewhere. Listen, your heart will follow your habits. You'll get there. Shoot them a text message. I got up this morning and I've been praying. I, I got a fellow that the Lord just put on my heart. He's not involved in our church. On Monday mornings, I pray for him. And every Monday right now, he gets a text message from me. I prayed for you today. I prayed for you today. You know you can do that. You send two or three messages about how you prayed for them. And then you twist that thing around and you text them and say, how can I pray for you? They're going to see you somewhere. They're going, why have you been praying for me? Because I know that you're a sinner and you need Jesus. That's probably not what you're going to say. Nobody laughed. we got to work on this. Okay? You're probably not going to say that. You're probably going to say, the Lord's just put you on my heart. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And you might be amazed at the way the Lord uses that simple conversation. You can put a sticker on your car or your coffee cup. Just make sure you represent Jesus well. If you put that Malvin Hill sticker on your car, don't let me find out you flip somebody a bird. We're going to have a serious conversation. And if you belong here and you see that, you write down their license plate number and you text it to me. Okay? Because I'm going to call. I'm going to say, hey, you got two choices. You get your mess together, you take that sticker off. But do you know that those things give me opportunities to share with folks? I was drinking coffee the other day and somebody walked in. They said they were new to the area. I invited them to our church. I'm the worst pastor in America. I don't have a card anywhere. Like, I'm all over. And I looked down. I was carrying my little Malvern Hill coffee cup. I was like, oh, this is the place right here. She said, let me take a picture of that. You know, it's little things. But these are, are, are ways that we just create conversations with folks. And oftentimes those conversations can mature into gospel opportunities. You can give somebody a gospel track. Do you know that? 
rarely do people reject those. Can I just give this to you? My name's on the back, my phone number. If you got any questions, give me a call. Here's my point. Let's speak to eager audiences. I want you to speak to the hard places too. I just don't want you to miss the easy ones. And this is why we often miss the easy ones. Because it's a lot easier for us to run to the other side of the world where nobody knows us and not worry what they're going to think about us than it is to speak to our neighbors, than it is to speak to the people that we see on a regular basis. But then watch the circle effect that happens. When you find an eager audience, you speak the gospel boldly and clearly, convictionally. Folks, it is regular that when I share the gospel, I'm sharing it with someone who has a different lifestyle than me. Okay? And when they ask me a Bible question, do you believe that, folks? Part of that boldness is to say, I believe everything that it says. So, yes, I do believe that that is a sin. However, God loves those people anyway, and He has provided an opportunity for salvation. We're going to speak the gospel boldly, and then this is the clear part. This is where it's helpful if we've at least thought ahead of time about how it is that we might walk somebody through a gospel proclamation. Folks, when it's all said and done, in conclusion this morning, we ask the question, how can the gospel move in difficult places? Listen to this. The church is the vehicle to advance the gospel in difficult places. I, I can give you gospel tracts. I can give you tools. We can give you apps. We can teach you how to share the gospel. But when it's all said and done, you are the person responsible for advancing the gospel in difficult places. You are the person So this morning, are you willing to be that person? Are you willing to share the gospel? Even when you know it may cost something. See, we've, we've sort of jumped off of Acts 4. So let's return there before we finish this morning. Peter and John knew that they were going to upset some people. They knew the Sadducees were not going to be real thrilled with what they had to say. They probably suspected that if they continued down this course of action, there was going to be a reaction against them. You see, the truth of the matter is, if we're going to preach the gospel with bold conviction, with clarity... And in every opportunity the Lord gives us, if we're going to do that, there's still going to be times when it's going to cost us something. Peter and John were arrested. But more people believed. There were about 5,000 men in the church at that time. You see, folks, I can give you all the tools in the world. But when it's all said and done, the question comes down to this. Are you willing... To count the cost and share the gospel. 
Are you willing to seek out opportunities to proclaim hope and freedom to those who are held captive by their sin? But this morning, that's not the only thing. So in our invitation, the first question is simply that. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ here today, are you willing today to accept the responsibility that God's given you to go and make disciples of all nations? But the second thing is this. We've walked through a gospel proclamation this morning. See, the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That message that I've given for you to use with somebody else is the same message that some of you need to hear today. You came here broken, hurting, looking for hope and healing. Listen to me. Jesus is the answer. He offers healing for your broken relationships. He offers hope. Folks, He can restore you back to the good design that God intended for you to have. Maybe you're like these Jews. You've acted out of ignorance. But today, let me tell you this. Jesus Christ is the only hope for your life. And He stands ready to receive you, to forgive you, to change you and to make you new. As we stand and sing this morning, whether the Lord is working in your life to call you to salvation and repentance, whether the Lord is working in your life to draw you to Him so that you may accept His free offer of forgiveness, whether the Lord has convicted you as a follower of Jesus about your lackadaisical attitude, however it is that you may wish to respond, I'd love to pray with you. This altar is open for you to pray at this morning as we sing together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving us. We thank you for Jesus Christ who is enough. I pray, Lord God, that you would be at work among us. Move in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.